Hello, this is Dr. Peng Xianqian, the editor in chief of Heart Rhythm. The November issue is a focus issue on pediatric and congenital electrophysiology. The first article is titled "Management and Outcomes of Atrial Fibrillation in 241 Healthy Children and Young Adults: Revisiting Long Atrial Fibrillation, a Multi-Institutional Paces Collaborative Study." This is a retrospective multicenter cohort study, including 241 patients from 13 congenital heart disease centers. Patients less than or equal to 21 years of age with documented atrial fibrillation from 2004 to 2018 were included. AF recurred in 94 patients, or 39 percent, during 2.1 years of follow-up. Predictors of AF recurrence. Were family history in the first degree relative or less than 50 years of age, and the longer PR interval in sinus rhythm. Ablating non-AF substrate with SVT improved the freedom from AF recurrence. The authors conclude that recurrence of AF in the pediatric population is common. Ablation of accessory pathways and other reentrant targets. Was the only intervention that decreased AF recurrence in children and young adults. Next up is evaluation of age as symptom onset, proband status, and the sex as predictors of disease severity in pediatric catecholaminergic polymorphic ventricular tachycardia. This is a multi-center cohort, including 133 pediatric CPVT patients. Proband status, rather than age, at symptom onset or sex, was an independent predictor of time to first cardiac event. Event risk after diagnosis was 48 percent, or 32 over 67, in patients on beta blocker or flaconide alone. Versus 10 percent, or 5 over 48, in patients on beta blocker plus flaconide, and/or left cardiac sympathetic denervation. The authors conclude that proband status, but not age as symptom onset or male sex, independently predicted an earlier onset of cardiac events. The next article is mechanisms and outcomes of castor ablation for biatrial tachycardia in adults with congenital heart disease. All ACHD undergoing castor ablation for macro reentrant atrial tachycardia over a 10-year period were evaluated for evidence of biatrial tachycardia. Among 263 ACHD. Biatrial tachycardia was identified at 11 procedures in 10 patients. During castor ablation, these arrhythmias could be targeted at an interatrial connections for normally septated atria and at a, a conventional critical isthmus after sending and lateral tunnel fountain operations. Up next is accessory pathway ablation in Epstein's anomaly, a challenging substrate. The purpose of this study was to compare patients of AP ablation in Epstein anomaly in an early 
that is 1990 to 2004, versus a recent, that is 2005 to 2019 era, and identify variables associated with recurrence. The authors identified 76 patients with median age of nine years. Of these patients, 52 has AP alone, 12 had atrial flutter, three had AV nodal reentrant tachycardia, and nine had accessory pathway plus at least one additional arrhythmia. Acute success for accessory pathway first procedure was 89%. Recent era ablations had significantly lower recurrence rates at one year. Younger age at the time of EP study and ablation era predicted recurrence. The authors conclude that outcomes for accessory pathway ablation in patients with Epstein anomaly have improved but there is still a relatively high recurrence risk requiring repeat procedures. The following article is Impact of Specialized Electrophysiological Care on the Outcomes of Castor Ablation for Supraventricular Tachycardias in Adults with Congenital Heart Disease, Independent Risk Factors, and Gender Aspects. All ACHD is registered in a database of one of the largest German health insurers that is, has uh, 9.2 million members who underwent castor ablation for SVT were analyzed. Of 38,892 ACHDs 16 years or older, 485 underwent castor ablation for SVT. The authors found that castor ablation for SVT is increasingly performed in ACHDs, especially for atrial flutter and atrial fibrillation. Patients with moderate and severe complexity, congenital heart defects, and female ACHDs benefit from upfront referral to specialized congenital heart centers for castor ablation. Centralization of care for ACHD arrhythmias should thus be advocated. The next article is atrial pacing in Fontaine patients, the effect of transvenous lead on clot burden. This was a retrospective cohort study of all transvenous permanent pacemaker implantations in Fontaine patients following, uh, followed between 2000 and 2018. The cumulative instance of clot was highest in patients with transvenous permanent pacemaker followed by patients with epicardial permanent pacemaker and no permanent pacemaker. In multivariable analysis, anticoagulation and or antiplatelet therapy were protective against clot and resulted in reduction of clot risk by threefold. The authors conclude that Fontaine patients with transvenous permanent pacemaker had a higher but not statistically significant instance of clot compared to those with no permanent pacemaker and the epicardial permanent pacemaker. Patients treated with warfarin and aspirin had a lower clot risk. Up next is a substrate characterization of right ventricle in repaired tetralogy of a load using late enhancement cardiac magnetic resonance. The purpose of this study was to identify the CMR algorithm that best fits with electroanatomical mapping, or EAM, 
in 10 patients with repaired tetralogy of Fallot. The 3D RV substrate reconstructions were created using an adjustable percentage or maximum voxel signal intensity, or MSI, of the scar uh, region to define the threshold between the core, transitional zone, and the healthy tissue. The best match between core and the scar was obtained at 65% MSI cutoff. Agreement on anatomic ISMI identification was best at 60% MSI cutoff, which identified 95% of ISMI and uh, achieved the total fit in 90% of patients. The authors conclude that characterization of RV substrate by post-processing LE-CMR images in repaired tetralogy fallow patients is feasible and could help in planning target ablation. The following article is predictors and outcomes of heart block during surgical stage one palliation of patients with a single ventricle, a report from MPC-QIC. The purpose of this study was to study patients and the surgical risk of heart block and its effect on 12 months transplant-free survival in patients with a single ventricle. In total, 1,423 patients were identified, of whom 28 or 2% developed second-degree or complete heart block during their surgical admission. Associated risk factors for block included heterotaxy syndrome, odds ratio was 6.4, and atrial flutter or fibrillation. At 12 months of age, 43% of 12 over 28 patients with heart block died and were more likely to experience mortality at 12 months than patients without block. The authors conclude that complete heart block after stage one palliation represents an additional risk of poor outcomes in this high-risk patient population. The last article of the focus issue is a 2021 PACES expert consensus statement on the indications and management of cardiac implantable electronic devices in pediatric patients. This document is expected to provide support for clinicians and patients to allow for appropriate CIED use, appropriate CIED management, and appropriate follow-up in pediatric patients. The first regular issue article is epicardial course of the musculature related to the great cardiac vein, anatomical considerations and the clinical implications for mitral isthmus block after vein or martial ethanol infusion. 100 consecutive patients underwent two-step procedure. Step one is the vein or martial ethanol infusion and step two is the endocardial linear ablation from the mitral annulus to the left inferior pulmonary vein. After vein martial ethanol infusion and endocardial ablation, mitral isthmus block occurred in 51 patients or 51%. Pacing maneuvers and activation sequences demonstrated an epicardial gap via the VOM in two patients or 2% and via the great cardiac vein in 47 patients or 47%. Global success rate of mitral isthmus block was 
The authors conclude that with the advent of VOM ethanol infusion, residual microisthmus gaps are mostly eliminated within the first centimeter of the great cardiac vein. Third, my mapping of the entire circumference of the great cardiac vein wall can help identify these epicardial gaps. Next up is reappraisal of the electrocardiographic criteria for localization of idiopathic outflow region ventricular arrhythmias. 101 patients undergoing castor ablation of RVOT and aortic sinus of Alsava, or ASV, ventricular arrhythmias with the left bundle branch block, inferior axis morphology were studied. For the differentiation of RVOT from ASV ventricular arrhythmias, the positive predictive values and negative predictive values for all tested ECG criteria ranged from 42 to 75% and from 71 to 82% respectively with the V2S slash V3R index having the largest area under the curve of 0.852. Morphological QRS criteria in these V1 through V3 did not localize ASV ventricular arrhythmias. The authors conclude that ECG criteria for differentiating right from left ventricular outflow region ventricular arrhythmias and for localizing ASV ventricular arrhythmias have a limited accuracy. The next article is castor ablation of premature ventricular complexes associated with left ventricular false tendons. From a total of 2,284 patients with idiopathic PVCs who underwent castor ablation at six institutions in China, 10 patients or 2.9% with PVCs associated with false tendon were retrospectively reviewed and enrolled in the present study. The PVCs were successfully eliminated by ablation in all patients. The target sites were confirmed to be related to false tendon. The origin of PVCs was located at the attachment of the false tendon to the popular muscle, LV septum, or LV apex. At the target site, high-frequency Purkinje potentials were observed preceding local ventricular activation in seven patients. The authors conclude that LV false tendon can be associated with PVCs, which can be cured by RF castor ablation. An intracardic echo-guided electroanatomical approach should be considered to improve the safety and the feasibility of this procedure. The following article is discrete sites of frequent premature ventricular complexes cluster within the infarct border zone and coincide with high frequency of delayed after depolarizations under adrenergic stimulation. Anterior septal wall MI was uh, induced by 120 minutes of coronary occlusion followed by reperfusion in pigs. After four weeks, Electroanatomic mapping combined with imaging was performed. PVCs originated from the MI border zone and occurred at discrete areas with clusters of PVCs within the border zone. 
At these sites, frequent delayed after depolarizations and occasional associated spontaneous action potentials translating to a PVC were present. Cardiomyocytes isolated from the MI border zone exhibited more spontaneous action potentials than cardiomyocytes from remote regions. Sensitivity to adrenergic stimulation was increased in MI, in vivo, and in cardiomyocytes. In a week, freely moving MI animals, frequent PVCs, ventricular arrhythmias, and sudden cardiac deaths occurred spontaneously at moderately elevated heart rates. The authors conclude that post-MI arrhythmias initiate from discrete, vulnerable areas within the border zone where delayed after depolarizations related to increased adrenergic response to border zone cardiomyocytes can generate PVCs. The next article is Similarities and Differences in the Arrangement of the Atrial Ventricular Conduction Axis in the Canine Compared to Human Heart. The authors prepared 33 human and 5 canine hearts for serial histological sections of the atrial ventricular conduction axis. All canine hearts lacked an inferoseptal recess with non-coronary leaflet of the aortic valve and the right fibrous trigon having direct attachments to the septal surface of the left ventricular outflow tract. This correlated with an extensive non-branching component of the ventricular conduction axis, which skirted half of the non-coronary aortic sinus. In the human hearts with an inferoseptal recess, the relatively shorter non-branching bundle is embedded within the fibrous tissue, forming its right wall. In conclusion, the authors found a major difference between canine and the majority of human hearts, namely the presence or absence of an inferoseptal recess. When this recess is absent, as in the canine heart and in some human hearts, a greater proportion of the atrial ventricular conduction axis is found within the circumference of the subaortic outflow tract. Up next is impacts of frailty on heart rate variability in aging mice, roles of the autonomic nervous system and the sinoatrial node. HRV was uh, reduced in aged mice compared to younger mice. However, there was substantial variability within age groups. In contrast, HRV was strongly correlated with frailty index score regardless of chronological age. The authors conclude that HRV reduced in aging mice in association with a shift in sympathovagal balance and increased intrinsic sinoatrial node beating variability. However, HRV is highly variable within age groups. HRV was strongly correlated with frailty, which was able to detect differences in HRV separately from chronological age. The above original articles are followed by a hands-on article titled How to Perform an Epicardial Ventricular Tachycardia Ablation, a Contemporary and a Practical Approach. There is a point of view written by Dr. Meles Hocini titled Radiofrequency Ablation of Ventricular Fibrillation, 
This article is the 11th entry of our series of articles to celebrate the 30th year of RF ablation. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm the editor in chief, Dr. Pingxian Chen.